Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Lou, how do you explain, and it's hockey, so it's weird, the Carolina Hurricanes, who, you know, obviously second round sweep the Islanders and in some ways make that look pretty simple, and now they themselves are sitting in a 3-0 deficit to Boston and look as if they are probably dead. Well, one of the things you can say is Tukarask has been phenomenal, and anytime your goaltender is playing like that, it's pretty difficult to score goals, and that's the most surprising thing about this series is the fact that Carolina has been, their goals for have been down so much. Uh, and even some of the opportunities they had in the few, last night's game, for instance, some of the wide open nets that guys missed. And, and it just seems that when you're not scoring, you get a little tight and you start pressing and start maybe aiming and you're not, uh, you know, as free shooting the puck as you would be. And, and on top of that, you got great goaltending. Uh, complicating matters, so uh, the fact that Carolina hasn't been able to light up the boards like they are capable of, I think, is a real reason where we're 3-0 instead of 2-1. Uh, and it could have been in the first game Carolina wasn't bad. I mean, uh, they didn't get any goals there either. Second game, they were they were bad, but uh, they certainly should have won the third game. What's your, your thought process too on, and it, I guess in these playoffs right now this would apply to the Blues uh, potentially and certainly to the Canes. When you are, what, in, in late December, early January, and I believe at one point in time, and we've talked about this, St. Louis was dead last in the league, and I want to say I saw the stat, Carolina was something like 23rd. And, yeah. and so you basically start to have to play what probably are amount of playoff games in February, and and just the fact that at some point in time it makes sense that uh, the gas tank would near empty or just basically go dry, right? Well, I don't think that the gas tank's dry because uh, you've been playing at a high level and, and you've been playing good. I know you're saying that maybe the intensity wears you down, but sure. uh, it's good to be playing tough games all the way along because then you're you're far more confident of weathering storms of of being behind and getting catching up than you would be if you if you weren't doing that during that stretch of games. Uh, I, I think the adrenaline still runs so high. That you're not really worn down by the time you get to playoffs. It's it's a very unusual feeling when you're in the playoffs, and you draw from places you never thought you could to get to get energy, to get adrenaline, to get uh, the kind of intensity you need. So I, I don't buy that part at all. I think the fact that uh, you look at any of those teams that have been battling Carolina certainly didn't look like they were tired last night. They they were just going gangbusters. They just couldn't score. And, and if you look at the games uh, St. Louis has been playing, it, it's not for lack of effort. So it, it's it's just you're playing quality teams. You're playing against good teams. You're, you're playing against teams that are capable of, of doing that, shutting you down, and that's why they're there. 
Lou, am I right in saying that it seems as if, and I believe he was a backup goaltender on the team that won the Cup with Tim Thomas starting, it seems like in Boston that Tuka Rask has never probably getting, gotten the credit he deserves. He will now, but it, it's been it's been odd because he's been there quite a while now. He's been, I think, very solid, but the fan base there has never embraced him completely, which obviously if they win the Cup is going to change. Well, I, 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 you're probably right there, although I, I think they respect him, and, and I know he's very highly thought of in Boston and has been for a long time. And if you look back when uh, he was traded from the Maple Leafs, he got, you know, that that's the Maple Leafs still to this day agonize over the fact that one of the reasons why they haven't had the success they should have had in the last 10 years is the fact that they traded to Carrasco as their first-round pick and before they gave him a chance. So uh, I... I I just think that uh, if you look back at it, mm-hmm. and even when Boston was winning the Cubs, Cheevers and Eddie Johnson and and Tim Thomas <laughs> and even Rask, and they, because he was there when he won the last one, they, the goaltenders don't seem to be the heroes in Boston. <laughs> I don't know why it is. Maybe it's the really the crowd, bad the they, love, they love the intensity. They love they love guys that are hard nosed. They they love the shenanigans of the Marshawn Poles and and uh, I and they they like the toughness part. They they don't seem to be romance as much as the forwards or defensemen there. So it, that included Cheevers, huh? I didn't realize. Right. That. I mean, you go back to when they, when they won the cup in those years. Yeah. They, who do they talk about? They're obviously, Orr, Esposito, uh, you know, Busick, and then Derek Sanderson, uh, um, <laughs> Pye McKenzie, uh, Kenny Hodge. I mean, by the time you get down to Cheevers, you know, it, it's funny. Cashman. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're, they're almost like a part of the team, but not the uh, not getting the recognition they really deserve. I just looked up that uh, trade that you were talking about on HockeyReference.com, Lou, June 24, 2006. Uh, to, a young Tuka Rask, a prospect at that time, traded to Boston by Toronto for Andrew Raycroft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John John Ferguson Jr. That basically cost him his job, you know, I mean, because Tuka started playing really good right away. And uh, Toronto's had goaltending problems ever since until he got Anderson right now. And let's see, Raycroft lasted two years. In Toronto, and then went mm-hmm. to Colorado. So, yeah, that was not a very good trade. Not a very productive trade. You're exactly right for the Toronto Maple Leafs there. And when you trade a goaltender, and one that is really good, mm-hmm. then it's just magnified because they're so hard to find. Did you fear, and, and I guess this is a cross-sport question, because I've read about this more in baseball now. I guess the new philosophy in baseball is because it used to be taboo to trade with a rival or in your division. And now in baseball, the feeling is if you're going to give me the best deal possible and you're in my division, I don't care. I'll take that deal because if you give me prospects, my feeling is that those players are eventually going to come back and beat you. Did you fear making trades in your division or did you not care from day one? No, I, the first trade I made was in my division with Chicago when they traded Doug Hicks. No, I didn't, I didn't care where I was trading as long as we were getting the player that we wanted back. It, it made no difference because at the end of the day, you got to beat everybody to get where you're going. Okay. So you did, and did you make, I'm trying to recall, did you make any trades with Chicago at the height of when you were going back and forth with them in the Norse Division Day rivalry, or did you not? I don't yeah, remember now. Yeah, yeah, we traded uh, Dirk Graham to him, okay. and uh, was a very good player, mm-hmm. and uh, we thought we had that uh, toughness. That's when we added uh, uh, Kurt Fraser. But, you know, unfortunately for us, after Kurt was there a very short time, he got a career-ending injury. 
That's right. Yeah, yeah. And Kurt, I still, I still remember poor yeah. Bobby Smith trying to fight Kurt Frazier in the corner there at Met Center. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> was he t- Kurt Frazier, you did not want to medal with Kurt Frazier back in the day. I don't think. No, he was. He was. He was a tough guy, and he was a good player. Yeah. How surprised did you think Nino was when he realized that was Charlie Coyle who jumped into the fray last night uh, to push him away from his goaltender? I think Coyle. I think Coyle knew the whole time. I think Nino looked up and thought, "Charlie." No, but Charlie always did that around his net. Charlie doesn't fight, and he and he could be more mean, but he never had a problem pushing guys away from the net or in the corners or something. I mean, that's one of his strengths is the fact that he'll go on the boards and come out with the puck uh, most of the time. He, he's very good at that. And, that, and that's why you like him. That's why you like to see him on the wing because he'd always win the battles on the boards, and, and he'll get in front and push and shove. He, he's just not going to – he's not going to – Fight. He doesn't fight, and he and he doesn't get mean, which would be nice if he got mean yep. when he's because he's so big and strong. But he's never had, uh, you know, propensity to stay away from from where he's needed as far as pushing and shoving and, and helping out his, his goaltender. Western Conference is as we record this on Wednesday. Uh, the series between the Blues and the Sharks is tied at one. Uh, what was your your thought after game one when the Sharks won so decisively and obviously the Blues bounced back? And, and I guess th- did a very smart thing, too. They switched up all their defensive pairings in game two and came back and I think got a couple of key goals from defensemen and won that game. Well, I thought that they had to do something back in defense because uh, that really hurt them in, in game one. The, the turnovers, the, uh, the slowness with which they moved the puck compared to how they should be moving it. And that's why they uh, were forced into some bad situations. And, and I got to tell you, the Sharks got a great offense and, and, uh, and they are dangerous up front. And so they're far from over. Couture's already got 13 goals. And then he's got, uh, you know, if they go to the finals, he's got two rounds here to finish to to get to the leader. And I think the leader is 17 in that time. Jeez. But uh, on top of that, uh, Timo Meyer has been just a, a beast. He's been unbelievable the way he's been playing. And and uh, Pavelski does what he does all the time. I, they got a lot of firepower up front to go along with Burns and Carlson on the defense. Yeah, and Burns has been, and when th- those guys are going, they're fantastic. Yeah, defensively. Yeah, they, 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 there's no doubt about it that uh, their Achilles heel could be their goaltender. If he plays good, they're going to be tough to beat. If he doesn't, they're going to lose. And then that's what it's coming down to because the rest of that team is good enough to win the cup. He looks right, though, now, don't you think, Martin Jones? Yeah, but, uh, you know, last game the Blues finally got them for four, and you're just wondering if maybe there's an opportunity for them to get more. But uh, uh, you could look good. By the time you got to be like Rask last night in the first period, you got to be great. You got to be uh, uh, otherworldly because there are going to be times when you're you're going to get tested far beyond what you think you're going to get tested. Outside of Bennington and Goal, who for the most part has been fantastic, Lou, how good do you think this St. Louis team is? I like the St. Louis team. I, I like them. If you go back to when we were talking about the season going to the season, I, you know, the things I said was I. I really was impressed with the additions that the Blues made. Ryan O'Reilly's a terrific player. Maroon gives them toughness and good, good stuff up front. Uh, they're, they're overall, I didn't even know about Thomas and, and Stevie Thomas's kid has been terrific all through the playoffs. Oh, is that and, Steve's and, uh, kid? I, I'm, I'm, I said at the beginning of the year that I was just wondering if their goaltender was settled. They'd be, 
they'd be really tough to beat. And and uh, they're they're not surprising to me at all. What's surprising to me is they're playing as well as they are without Tarasenko producing. And this, you know, if you ever get him going and start scoring goals the way he has in his whole career, then they're really going to be, uh, you know, a handful. But, Louis, Tarasenko, and I was actually, when the last time that the Wild won a first-round playoff series, I think they beat the Blues and then lost in the second round to the Blackhawks, and that was a series where Tarasenko drove me crazy because when he applies himself, he is phenomenal. But what happens? He just He just seems to disappear at times. You know, you really can't put your finger on it because it's not just him. If you go back and look at every team over years and and you look at all the Stanley Cup playoffs, many, many times top players aren't producing. That's why their team gets beaten. Why that happens after they've been so productive during the year, during their careers, you just don't know. I mean, you know, look at Gabrick. One year he was just a world beater with the Wild. Remember, I mean, scoring winning goals and doing everything when he yep. went to the conference final another year. You know, unproductive. Uh, so you wonder sometimes, but uh, sometimes you're snake bitten. Sometimes breaks aren't coming to you. Sometimes you press too much, and, and and nothing seems to go for you. And then you get guys that don't score all year long, and, and they get a lot of goals. So that's that's what happens in the playoffs. Yeah, what bothered me though about the the Blues Wild series that year was Tarasenko. Uh, in some games would look spectacular. So, so it wasn't like a rut. It was uh, a game one and three. He looked, you know, fantastic. Game two, he sort of didn't show up. Game four, he sort that, that's what, you, because if guys go into goal scoring slumps, I sort of get that. But this was almost like an application of talent type of deal that, bu- that bugged me because I thought to myself, why is it coming and going game by game by game? Well, you don't know. I don't think it's not because he cares. I think because he gets frustrated, they get um, self-analyzing themselves to a point where they get too tight and not playing the way they can. Mm-hmm. They get pressing. I, I don't know, but uh, I've seen it happen too often to know that uh, it happens continually every year to somebody. That's Steve Thomas's kid, huh? I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that either. And and he's young and he's really, I mean, he's been a big difference maker for those guys. He's playing with the poise of a veteran. He's handling the puck so well. He's he's strong. He, he, he makes good plays. It, you know, it's uh, been a big addition for him. And Steve Thomas could really score back in, in the day. Oh, God, he could score. And there was, he beat there you was guys a better day in and day out. And you never have to worry about him coming to compete because uh, – he was something else, uh, you know. He he just he had a tenacity about him that just exhibited itself every game, whether it's regular season or playoffs. That was Toronto, right? Yeah, and then Chicago. Okay, yeah. In fact, when my son was in the Chicago organization, he was with uh, Steve. So interesting. Uh, when did St. Louis become or start to become a hockey hotbed? Back in '67. Because it, and I think a like lot of it had to do with the Wild playing, and the North Stars, I should okay. say, playing St. Louis, the, the rivalry between our two teams, and then it, and it grew into Chicago and Philadelphia. And I think a lot of it came from the kind of players he had, like the Plager brothers and Noel Picard, and they had Scotty Bowman early, and Al Arbor, and then, of course, their net miners, Glenn Hall and Jacques Plant. And Doug Harvey and Dick Moore. I mean, they started right off the bat. They did a wonderful job of getting names and getting uh, an area, you know, accustomed to hockey. But you got to remember, they had they had farm teams there before. The St. Louis team was in the Central League. In fact, when Phil Esposito got called up to the um, Blackhawks and the, the 
the first time when he stayed and, and, and he got called up and stayed, and he was playing for the St. Louis Blues. And I used to practice with him. I was in the Chicago. They were they were at that time owned by Chicago, and uh, they'd come to town, and I'd go to practice with them or negotiate with them. I, I went to this for years because that was Chicago's farm team. And when I was in a dispute with Chicago and trying to sign him, yeah, uh, that's who I was dealing. Uh, you know, Gus Kyle come to town, and we'd get together, and he'd try and convince me to take the money. And Phil was there; he'd come over for dinner, and that's uh, that's where he was. And uh, Boom Boom Karan was the right winger. Remember, he got over fifty goals. <laughs> so they had they had a lot of a lot of history in hockey there, and and it, and then when it got to the NHL, it just really uh, took off. Good. And what's the story of their expansion team? Didn't the Blackhawks like vouch for them, or di- didn't the Blackhawks push for them to get the franchise? Well, uh, I don't know if you know. I, 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 they were in their corner because that was their farm team. That was a you know they had a good working relationship. And then the Sid Solomon, uh, and he was the guy that, uh, you know, owned the first team and, and started going. And, uh, you know, they, they had some spots, uh, soft spots for a while, and Purina, but she took it over, going to sell it, and when they weren't playing well, but then they bounced back, and they, they've, been, right. they've been a good town. They, they've been a good hockey town. That's right. They almost moved to where, where did Harry Ornish yeah. almost set? Saskatoon? Saskatoon was trying to get him, remember, at the time? Oh, my. Think about that for a second. Yeah, yeah. That might have been a setback for the league if Saskatoon yeah. had gotten them. Well, Saskatoon would be good there, but uh, you'd lose a heck of a market right. in St. Louis. Exactly. Saskatoon, you know, it's, it's, they'd, they'd get supported, but whether they'd be able to support it at an NHL level, I don't know if there's enough industry to buy the suites and pay the kind of money and, and generate the kind of revenue they need. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I was also saying, though, and it's probably largely because uh, Kachuk stayed there and has his and his kids grew up playing there. It seems like the youth hockey pop uh, pipeline, excuse me, from St. Louis has been really strong in the past 10 years or so. Oh, yeah, yeah. Blake Dunlop who played for us. He was one of the first guys. He stayed there. Basil McCray stayed there. His son played there, you know. Did he really? Uh, he, he worked there for a while. Now I think he's gone. And I believe it was with Columbus, but uh, there's been a lot of guys that stayed around there. And well, going back to Bernie Federico, he was, you know, and the Bobby Plager, they were the the first guys from those good teams that stayed there. So they they, they got a lot of players that stayed around that town. Interesting stuff. Okay, so. During the course of the podcast throughout the year, Lou, we've talked about your long career here, both playing and as GM, and uh, of course going back to your time with the Gophers. Let's go before that. Who who was your team as a kid? And back in that day, what was playoff time like for you following that team? Well, I was a big Detroit fan from from when I was a kid, and I was a big baseball fan as much as hockey. In, in fact, when I was six years old, I started going to Detroit to watch the Detroit Tigers play because I had an aunt and uncle there, and they took me down from when I was six. By the time I was nine years old, yeah, I started going alone on the bus across the river from Sioux, Michigan to Detroit at night. I can still remember the bus driver I seemed to have every year was Wendell Shepard from Midland, uh, Michigan. And he had a mustache. I'd sit behind him because, you know, I was petrified. Nine years old, traveling alone at night again. And they had no bridge across the Mackinac Strait. So you take a ferry, and it was like a foreboding time. At midnight, he'd be there. And I'd get in at 7 in the morning. My uncle would be there to pick me up. And I'd go to all the Tiger games. And then at the same time, the Red Wings, were, were their training camp was in Puller Stadium in Sioux, Michigan. So I used to take the ferry across to watch the Red Wings because Gordy Howard was my idol. Marty Pavlich, who played for them, was my first baseball coach. And and so I used to go across the river and watch them all the time. Jack Adams was running the team. 
I remember Mitro Prestein, George G., coming across the ferry once and giving me a ride in the car, which I so they became favorites of mine for a long time. And uh, and uh, Bob Goldham on defense, and you know Terry Sawchuk in the nets, and and I used to go to the training camp there every year to watch them. Really, and that's when I first got old Dutch potato chips. I still re- and and Werner's Werner's pop. I can still remember that. Oh man, and and I did that for years, and then and so I went. Detroit all the time, and uh, uh, I I don't know if I ever missed a game on the radio of the Tigers or the Red Wings. I can't remember missing a game because I used to listen every day, every day. So at that time, the Wings were at the Olympia, and the Tigers were in Briggs Stadium, was it? Yeah, Briggs Stadium, and I used to take this uh, streetcar down there by my side. Van Patrick was doing the baseball games for Tigers, and Al Nagler was doing the Red Wing games. Stroh's Beer was the sponsor. I, I, these things just come to my head. I remember all that because I heard them so many times. I can't forget them. Favorite player on the Tigers at that time for you? Who grew up idolizing? Harvey Keene, shortstop. I liked Al Kaline, but I loved Harvey Keene because I used to play shortstop. My first baseball I ever got was a doubleheader. And Reno Batori was from he, he, he was from Windsor, Ontario. Played second base and. And it was in between games, and I went down and sat by the Tiger dugout, yelling at all the guys. And I was only about uh, ten years old at the time, and and uh, and I finally Reno was right by the dugout. I said, "Hey Reno, I'm a Canadian kid like you. You're from Windsor. I'm from the Sioux. I need a baseball. I never got a baseball." And he handed me a baseball. And I remember the first game I went to at Brick Stadium uh, when the Boston Red Sox played, and I was six years old. My uncle Nick took me, and I think it was, no, it was a section I can't remember. I think it said 35. Mm-hmm. And my uncle Nick says, as Ted Williams comes up, he says he likes to hit the ball, and he usually hits it out by that section 35, and son of a gun if he didn't hit the next pitch right in section 35 for a home run. Really? Unbelievable. What, what, a, thr- yep. what a thrill to see him play, too. That must yeah, have been just yeah. fantastic. Joe DiMaggio, him, I mean... You know, Mickey Mantle. Uh, in my where I grew up in the West End, it was always Detroit against the Yankees, and so I was always on Detroit's team. We had our own games on the afternoon. We had, and I mean, they, they were fierce games. There were guys. I mean, this was we played baseball like we played hockey. Then we guys were really upset with one another. I mean, these were big games. We had the Yankee fans and the Tiger fans. So I, I t- take it it's a dumb question, but your favorite Red, uh, Red Wings player was probably Gordy Howe. Is that accurate? He's one of the, I got two pictures in my house of hockey players. It's him and Bobby Orr. Okay, okay, yeah. interesting. I, uh, and and Gordy, I, I mean, I just idolized him. He was tough playing against him. I mean, he was the meanest guy in the road. And after he got through, we became really good friends. And uh, the friendship I treasured. I really, really, really loved that guy. He was just phenomenal. We all have these, but uh, what is your favorite uh, childhood? memory of the Tigers or Wings growing up, and what's the biggest heartbreak that you experienced as a child where they lost a monumental game in your mind? Well, the Wings uh, lost to Toronto when I thought they were going to win. I forget, uh, it was in the, I think it was in the late 40s, and and I, I just hated, uh, and I, after I got to be friends with him, I loved the guy, Rocket Richard, but I used to hate Richard at the time because he was the big it was Howe versus Richard, if you remember back then. Sure, yeah. And and uh, and I was upset when Montreal beat Detroit one time, too. But the Toronto series, one year they lost, really hurt. And the Tigers, uh, you know, I, 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 they came close to so many times. They had Hell Neuhauser. They had K-Line Keene. Uh, they had a, a, a good team. And uh, they got, I, 
I think it was when New Hunter was there, Dizzy Paul, Dizzy Trout, and they got upset when I thought they had a chance to to win the championship. They were they were good, but I also you know the Dodgers. I used to have a team in the American American League and a team in the National League, and the National League team was the Brooklyn Dodgers for me. You know, with Roy Campanella and that. Oh yeah. And I can still remember when Bobby Thompson hit the home run. I was right in front of my mother. A little clothing store was on James Street. Yeah. I was listening on the transistor radio, and I was right there, and, and, and he hit that home run. I was just sick, never because the Dodgers were my other team. Oh, yeah, that that had to be hard. So you must that have, was fifty one, I think. You must you must have been a, a tyke at that time too. I was, yeah. I used to. My dad had a little, little grocery store, and my and across the street, my mother had a little clothing store, and the grocery store was a confectionery. Yeah, and they used to bubblegum them, and I don't know, if, I don't know if it was topped. It was somebody before, but I had. Every day I'd go to the store and I'd get a bubble gum so I'd get either the baseball cards or the hockey cards. Uh-huh. And I had the best collection of anybody, and I left them in my home, and my mother somehow threw them out, you know, years later. <laughs> I had them from when I was six years old, you know, to, to 20, and then when I go back, and I don't know why, when cards start, get, start getting hot, and that, that must have been in... I want to say about the late 60s or something. Yeah. I went back to see where they were, and my mother threw them out. How many poor kids have that same exact story? But they never had as many cards as me. <laughs> my you, dad had the store, so I had the store. You probably had a 52 <laughs> Mantle rookie that was worth, what, like 10 grand now or 50 There's, there's no doubt I had it. There's oh, no my doubt. goodness. All right. Thanks, Lou. Great stuff. I'll, I'll talk Thank to you, you in a couple of weeks. Nice, All right. Nice talking to you. You too. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.